Hello, everyone. Welcome to this webinar. The title of it is Mind Mapping Christian Maturity. I am going to build a mind map for you. You can think of it like stepping stones, one connecting to the other that leads to a, a specific point. Now, the specific point that I'm going to lead you through by laying out these stepping stones visually is what does it mean to be a mature Christian from salvation all the way grown up into Christian maturity? My name is Rick Thomas, and I'm quite grateful that you are here. For those of you who are listening to the podcast version of this webinar, thank you so much for jumping on our podcast. And as you think about it, please write a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to so that we can continue to reach more and more people. But as you have time, please make your way over to our website because this is going to be an intensive incremental building out of a mind map that has so many elements to it. I didn't count all the stepping stones, but uh, there could very well be a hundred different pieces that I am going to put on the screen for you, and I am going to break down Christian maturity in a way that will help you not just visually to see it and understand it, but I trust that it will be transformative to you. Probably two of the most common questions that we are asked when it, it comes to this idea of Christian maturity, one of those is when folks come to our ministry, they jump on our forums, and, and they say, I, you know, I have a spouse, a child, a friend, and I am not sure if this person is a Christian. Well, what I'm going to build for you in this webinar will help you to look at all of the specific elements. I mean, think of it like taking the word maturity and just stretching it out so far that you see inside of it in a microscopic fashion to where you see the steps of Christian maturity as I said, perhaps a hundred of them. And so it will be a complete examination, but it's designed to help answer that question. I realize that on our best day, we can only understand if a person is a Christian from a subject, subjective perspective, but this will give you some objective ways to, to understand the best that you can subjectively. And then the second question that people ask us is, what is Christian maturity? A straightforward question. Well, this webinar will answer that question too. All right, so the big idea in the webinar is Christianity is not a spectator sport. God has called us to participate in the good things he is working in our lives not participating in our sanctification by appropriating his grace. It's a sign of death, not life. And so in this webinar, I explain through mind mapping what it means to be, as James said in 122, doers of the word, a process that leads to Christian maturity. Now, that is the big idea. Before I get into the mind map, I do want to look at a couple of verses to help set the stage. One of those is Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. This is Paul talking when he said, "'Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling.'" For it is God who works in you both to will and to work 
for his good pleasure. Now, there is a lot packed into this sentence. Now, one of the things, I want to say this first of all, what Paul is not saying, he is not saying that we are working to be saved. There is an assumption here that you already own salvation, that it has already been gifted to you by God, that you have been born again or you have been regenerated. So he's not saying that you're working in order to have something. He's saying that you have something, and now that you have it, we want you to work it out to grow up into biblical manhood and womanhood, to grow up into a mature believer. Now, it is possible that there are people watching this webinar or listening to the podcast who have not been regenerated. They they would not say that they are Christians. Well, if you're here, praise God for you. But if you want to learn how to have a salvation that you can work out to grow up into Christ's likeness, then I would love for you to come to our ministry and to let us know. Say, hey, I, I am not a Christian and I'm interested. Tell me how to become one. But in this text, he's talking, Paul is talking to Corinthians, uh, talking to believers in Philippians 2, verses 13 and 14. So he's telling them, Work out your salvation. But the other thing that I want you to see here, he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so there's a double benefit here. God is working in us, and then we participate with God. It is a cooperative work. We cooperate with him in appropriating his grace What Paul's talking about here is both passive and active obedience. I'll talk more about that in just a moment, but I want you to see that this is a, it's not a spectator sport. It is a participation sport that we are working what God is working in us. Now, if you back up in Philippians to chapter one, you see another text that talks about God working in us, where he says in verse six of chapter one that what God has begun, he's going to complete. And so we know that God is actively working in our lives. It is assured that he is going to finish the deal, that he's going to complete our salvation. You see, it's God that perseveres, not us. If it was just us persevering, we would not do well. But God is a persevering God, and what he has begun in us, he surely will complete. And as Paul says here, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. But he also says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so what we see in that verse is passive and active obedience. Now, there's another text that talks about this as well passive obedience I'm speaking of first, and that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18. Paul said this, with all, we all, rather, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Do you see the passive voice in that sentence? It is something that is happening to us. It's Kind of what Paul was saying in Philippians 2, that God is working in us to will and do of his good pleasure. Or in 1.6 of Philippians, God will complete what he has begun. Or in this text, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed. This is what we call passive obedience. It is something that is happening to us. But our obedience is 
active too. In James 1.22 is that classic short sentence that says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so we don't want to be ditch people where we jump in one or the other. Those who believe in passive obedience, exclusivity, and then those who believe in active obedience as the only way. Those who believe in active obedience are they can tend to be legalists where they there there's a aspect to them where they can live in a an insecurity and so they are doers of the word and and they can get into legalistic tendencies because they don't understand passive obedience but then you have passive obedience these are more of a let go let god mindset as though we do not cooperate with him a healthy mature christian life is the believer who understands that it is god working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure and plus we want to be active participants and doers of the word as you get as you move along in in James's sanctification theology you'll eventually get to chapter 2 verse 17 where he makes this statement so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead now there is a a linkage here. There's also a logical, common sense way, a rational way of understanding this verse. You see, in James's mind, he can't see a world where you could have legitimate faith, but yet it doesn't bring forth any kind of fruit. And so if you say you have faith, but yet your life appears, as far as the fruit is concerned, is dead, well, then maybe you don't have faith after all. What he's not saying, same as Paul, he's consistent with Paul. Paul is saying that we're not working for our salvation, but we're working because of our salvation. James is saying that if you have faith, but you but it's not rolling out into works, then maybe you want to examine the root system. Perhaps you don't have faith at all. Now, James was Jesus' half-brother, and Jesus talked about this as well when he said in Luke 6, and I'm going to read to you verses 43 and 45. I'm skipping 44, but you can read it, but here's 43 and 45 where Jesus said this, just like his half-brother James, for no good tree bears bad fruit. Do you see the rational sequencing here? If you have a good tree, it has good fruit, not bad fruit. And that's what James is saying. If you have faith, there's going to be works. If you don't have works, then you probably don't have faith. And so Jesus said, for no good tree bears bad fruit. And then he turned it around and, and said, it, said the same thing a different way. He said, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. And then in verse 45, he moves from the plant kingdom to the, to the human kingdom to make an application. He says, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produce, produces good. And so again, you see this sequence here, a logical sequence. A good person has a good treasure and a good heart that produces good works. 
the good works come from the faith that we have. Or he turns it around and says the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Again, there's a sequencing here that is common sense, and it's important for us to understand this. And so if a person says that they are a believer, but there's no objective way of measuring or seeing the works in their lives then you really do have to ask some difficult questions because James could not be clearer that faith without works is dead. Jesus could not be clearer that a good tree produces good fruit. And if there is no good fruit, then, well, we probably don't have a good tree. So these are hard and sober-minded questions, but we we want to do the work of examination to see because there has to be consistency if we say that we are saved, then it has to look like something, and that is the purpose of this mind map. And so with those things in mind, what you see here is a blank canvas on the screen, and I'm going to start building out a mind map that will give you a clear way of understanding what Christian maturity is. And I trust that, first of all, that you will look at this like a mirror, and you will examine yourself and see if these elements in this mind map is a a clear representation of who you are. Now, I am not suggesting that you have perfected what I'm going to present to you. I haven't. I'm a work in progress. But what we're looking for when we examine evidence in anybody's life, you're not looking necessarily for the perfection of it, but you're looking for the for the presence of it. And so as you look at this mind map, when I'm done, I trust you will see the presence of your life. If you don't, then you have some questions that you need to answer. And so when mind mapping Christian maturity, the starting place is always the gospel. A good definition of the gospel is the person and work of Christ. The gospel is not a thing primarily. The gospel is a person. He is the good news. He is the incarnate one, meaning that he came into our world in the fullness of time. As Paul said in Galatians 4, God brought his son, as John said in in John 1, he tabernacled or he lived lived among us. And so the gospel came to us and lived on earth. The gospel eventually died on a cross to pay for our sins and resurrected three days later and then ascended. God or Christ in human flesh paid our debt for sin, which opens up the portal for us to receive salvation, not based on our works, but based on the complete full sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And if we accept his work, not ours, then we receive his righteousness and alien righteousness. And at that point, we are born again or regenerated. And this is the launching pad. This is the starting place, as you see on the mind map. You can't have Christian maturity without salvation. You can't have salvation without Christ or the gospel. Now, for me, God regenerated me in 1984. When did he regenerate you? Now, you might not remember the exact day. I don't. 
you might not remember the knee that you were the the plank in the church building where you bowed your you bowed and placed your knee when you asked Christ in in your heart as as the cliche goes but the question is have you been regenerated not when or where but have you been regenerated that's the most important question now perhaps some of you watching this webinar are unsure of your own salvation well i trust but by the time that i get through with this webinar you will be able to look at this mirror or this picture that i'm going to present to you and you will see the presence the presence of salvation in your life as you see you living out uh, what Christian maturity looks like on this screen. And so Christian maturity begins with the gospel. And the most succinct way to define the gospel is the person and work of Christ. And then he imposes himself into our lives, and we are born a second time. At that point, the Spirit of God comes into our life. We were dark and alienated from God. The light was out. But once we are born a second time, we are now alive. You will read this in Ephesians 2, where we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul also talked about in Corinthians that the natural person, the unregenerate person, doesn't discern spiritual things because there is no Spirit of God activated in him. And so at salvation, you receive the Spirit of God. Now, it is possible as a Christian to grieve the Spirit of God as we read in Ephesians, or we can quench the Spirit of God as we read in 1 Thessalonians. We can resist God's work in our lives after salvation, meaning as Christians we can sin. And when we do sin, the spirit that lives in us is grieved, and, and he is quenched. And what can happen if we do not respond biblically, uh, and I'm going to talk about that, I'm going to talk about repentance in just a moment, how to confess our sins and to walk away from our sins, I'll talk about that. But if we don't respond correctly to the sins, to the grieving and quenching of the Spirit, our conscience, our inner voice will begin to dull. Our conscience is our internal moral thermostat. It is our inner voice, a mercy, a gift from God that he has given to all humanity, whether they are believers or not, as we read in Romans 2 verses 14 and 15. And so all of us have this signal and alarm system in our souls that tell us when we are doing right from wrong. And so as a Christian, you not only have a conscience, but you have the Spirit of God who is active in you. And when you begin to grieve or quench the Spirit and you respond wrongly to it, meaning you ignore it, you rationalize it, you blame your sin on someone else, you excuse it. Whatever the method is of trying to skirt around the sin, eventually you will dull your conscience. As you read in Hebrews 3, 7 uh, and also 4, 7, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart and your conscience can go from dull to hard. As we read in 1 Timothy 4.2, that they have seared their consciences with a hot iron. And so the point here at this part of the mind map is that you can, you could have been regenerated and you are truly born again. 
and you're going to be in heaven, and no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand, as we read in John chapter 10, verse 28. But as Christians, what I'm talking about here is Christian immaturity. Uh, the person who is grieving the Spirit of God or quenching the Spirit of God, what that will do is that it will it will stunt your growth, and you will not be maturing as a Christian because you are resisting the Spirit's work in your life. It will not only stunt your growth, but it will complicate your relationships, and that is something that you do not want to do. All right, so let's assume as we move along in this mind map that you sincerely and you are genuinely cooperating with the Spirit of God. You want to participate in your Christian experience with what God is working in your life, as we read in Philippians 2. Now, if that is the case and you're not grieving and quenching the Spirit, then you're moving down the right path. And the path that I'm talking about here is what we call progressive sanctification. When you are born again, when you are regenerated, you receive what we call definitive sanctification, meaning that you have everything that you need for life and godliness. But you are an infant. You are a newborn babe in Christ, as Peter talked about. And so though that newborn babe has everything that that child needs to be a human being, They have not grown up yet. And so that's the difference between definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. Definitive is you have everything that you need to be a mature Christian. Progressive sanctification is the process of maturing into full Christ-likeness. And so you want to be a a one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, 10, 15, 20, 25-year-old. You want to grow up into a, a full and mature your human, and that is progressive sanctification. Now, the way that you do that is that you step into different Christian contexts, and so I want to talk about that. And what I mean by different Christian contexts is that these are means of grace. Means of grace is like an instrumentation. Uh, It's like a vehicle. It's the instrumentation that God uses to get you from point A to point B, The context or the means of grace are like vehicles that move you from point A to point B. And so point A is a newborn babe in Christ. Point B is to grow up into full Christ-likeness, into Christian maturity. And so there has to be means, instrumentation, vehicles. They have to be context in, in order to do that. And I want to give you a a short list, not an exhaustive list, of some of the means of grace, the benefits, the context that we have that we should be accessing and stepping into. Again, this goes back to the big idea that Christianity is not a spectator sport. As you see on the screen here, I also call these acts of worship. Both of those things are important. They are acts or actions. Those actions are forms of worship. It's just one way that we can worship God. It's just one way that we can spread the fame of God, that we can glorify Him, but not just glorify Him. There is a reciprocal benefit. It comes back on us too, and so these means of grace will help us to mature 
into Christ's likeness. Now, the first means of grace is the church. Now, I am not talking about the body of Christ. When you're born again, you are you are in the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ. We're all part of the body. But here I'm speaking more functionally and practically as far as a local context. You belong to a local church, and so you participate in the meetings of the church. Now, those meetings are varied. They're diverse. There's all sorts of them. I think some people will think that, you know, being part of the church is is what we do on Sunday morning. That's one aspect for sure. Last evening, we had the church over in our home, in our living room. It was two people. It was a couple uh, who attend our church. And so when two or three are gathered, I mean, Christ is there. And so we had a church meeting It's called hospitality. It's called having a meal. And so when you see church here on the screen, it is not just attending from 10 to 12 on Sunday morning in a building somewhere or a a strip mall or a theater or wherever your local church gathers in some structure or even in a home. But the church has many meetings throughout the week, month, and year. And so you want to participate in all of these meetings if your desire is to grow up in Christian maturity. A person who is not engaged with their local body in all the diverse and varied ways that they can, well, this will be another way that they can stunt their growth. And then another means of grace is prayer as we actively communicate to God. Prayer is us talking to God. Another means of grace is the Bible, that is God speaking to us. And so there's three foundational acts of worship or means of grace that we are engaged in that help us to work out our salvation, as you see on the screen. Church, prayer, and the Bible. But there's more. I've added here memorization, as David said in Psalm 119, that I've I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Memorization is a huge means of grace. I have singing here, and then, of course, friends, and then I have serving. We don't want to be Dead Sea Christians, and so we also want to have outlets, and those outlets will be connecting with friends, whether in the church or outside of the church, and then, of course, serving others, and then discipling. That's a part of the Great Commission to go and make disciples, and a part of discipleship is evangelization. And so what you see here are nine acts of worship. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. I am sure you can add to this list, and I would love for you to print off this mind map and just really scratch it up, just mark it up as you add different things to it. But the big idea that I want to communicate, that if you want to grow up in Christian maturity, then you have to participate, and you enter into the context of your local church, and here are nine ideas. All of these should be active in your life, plus a few more.
Now, there's one other that I do want to highlight, and that is called counseling. I'm highlighting it for a couple of reasons. One is counseling is a means of grace. Counseling sometimes is necessary for some believers, some couples, some families. Sometimes we can find ourselves in such difficult situations situations or in complex relationships that we want to pull aside and we want to meet privately and exclusively with someone to to help us give us some customized care. And so there is a place for counseling within uh, the uh, our growth in Christian maturity, but uh, that should not be Uh, the ongoing, it should not be an ongoing event in our life. And so what you'll see here on the screen is that I have also scratched out counseling. I put it here as a context, a means of grace to help us in our Christian maturity, but that should not be an ongoing event in our life because if the church is being the church, meaning you are being who you should be, and you're not only participating in all the means of grace that the local church has, but you're benefiting from them and you're helping other people, then as the body cooperates and engages the body as we're stirring one another up to loving good deeds, we should be finding everything that we need to help us to grow up into Christian maturity outside of counseling. But again, there are times when we find ourselves in complex situations where we need that customizable care. And so I put counseling in here as a context, but with a, a footnote, with a caveat. Now, what I want to do in this next screen, I'm going to come back to the mind map, but I just want to highlight these means of grace again because I, I don't think I can overemphasize it here. Let me say it this way. When I meet with a person with counsel, for counseling or a couple or a family, I would say that 98 to 99% of the time, in over a quarter of a century of counseling thousands of people, that when they come to me, they are not doing what I just said. They are not actively participating in all the means of grace that the church offers. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And so let's what if we take First Corinthians fifteen thirty three and we invert it, we flip it on its head. Paul says bad company ruins good morals. What about if we said good company Uh, increases, instills good morals. Well, if you surround yourself with good companions, which is what I've been talking about in all these acts of worship, means of grace, context of the body of Christ, you you see all of them here on the screen. And as I said, that I would say 98, 99% of the people that I've met over a quarter of a century of counseling that part of their problem is that these things that you see on the screen here were not active in their lives. The church and all the varied meetings of the church, 
active prayer life where they're talking to God, active Bible life where God is talking to them, hiding scripture into their heart, singing a joyful heart, serving others because they're not Dead Sea Christians, building out a friend network for reciprocation where you help them and they are helping you, actively discipling other people, actively evangelizing your culture, perhaps sometimes receiving counseling, but with my footnote, you can actually extract counseling from this list that you see here and most definitely grow up in Christian maturity if you're doing these other things. And so I wanted to highlight these means of grace because this is a huge deficit in people's lives, and I, I, want, you to, I want you to get the point. And so thus far in the mind map, we you see it here, I'm back to the mind map on the screen for those who are listening to the podcast, and we have developed it from salvation to cooperating with the Spirit of God to actively engaging into the means of grace, which are the vehicles that allow us to do the next things that I want to present to you. But before I get to that, I do want to take a brief coffee break and just make an appeal to those of you who are able to do any of the things that are suggested here in this list. We made a decision a number of years ago to give all of our resources away, and by the grace of God, we are never going to change. However, we cannot do that without you. And so without any guilt whatsoever, I would just love for you to consider some of the things that's on this list here, all of them will help us uh, to continue to uh, underwrite and support this ministry. And and really, the big idea is to reach as many people as possible with the practical message of Christ. And so my appeal is that you will partner with us in whatever way that you can, as you see listed here. I have six things listed. One, uh, you can pray for our ministry. And I would, I would find no greater, greater pleasure than to know that there, there's an army of people that are pleading with God, asking him to continue to show favor on this work. Number two, you can like uh, our content wherever the social media platform is is that you would like and follow. Hit the like button on any resources that we put out on these platforms. Just like it. This is called uh, algorithms. This is how we organically build a ministry. And by you liking, uh, you may be amazed at how that helps us to continue to grow organically and to, and to wrap our resources around uh, the earth. You can also share that would be hugely important. Grab a link to an article. Share this uh, webinar, please. You can also write a review uh, for the podcast or my books on Amazon or write your pastor, write a friend, send a text, send an email and say, hey, uh, you need to connect with this ministry. And then, of course, you can donate financially. Uh, these resources aren't free. They're free to you. This is a free webinar. You can watch it freely. Uh, but at some point, there has to be people to underwrite uh, write this ministry uh, because there's 10 of us at this time, and it takes thousands and thousands of dollars every single month in order to do what we do. And so you underwriting financially is huge. And then finally, if you would like training like what I'm presenting here, this webinar is is part of our mastermind program. It is one of the webinars that they have to watch along with a whole lot of 
lot of other things. And so you can learn about our mastermind program from our website. And if you would like to do an intensive two to three year program, learning all things discipleship, you will not be disappointed uh, by taking our mastermind program. All right, that's our coffee break. Thank you so much. I want to come back, and I want to finish building out this mind map. All right, so we have the foundational elements, the means of grace that are the vehicles that you're going to get in and that that are going to take you on this trip called Christian maturity. Now, if you're doing these things, then the first thing that should be happening to you, and it is the essential thing, foundational, and that is humility. As you're engaging God and engaging others, your heart should be growing in humility. How could it be otherwise? Now, the reason that this is important is because God gives empowering favor to the humble, meaning that you will have power uh, to grow and to move. You'll have God's favor. He does not oppose you at all. And so if you actively engage in these, some of the benefit that will come to you is that your heart will continue to grow in humility. And as you grow in humility, you're going to be affected. We want to be affected Christians, meaning that we are affected by God. And so he is working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. What he has begun, he is going to complete. As we stare into the face of God, we are being transformed. And we do that by actively participating in these means of grace. We are affected affected people. And so out of our humility, we are affected. And then what grows from that are desires. And the first desire that we have is that we want to change. We want to grow. We, we don't want to be babes. We don't want to be unregenerate. And so God has gifted us with salvation. But we don't want to stay there. Failure to thrive would be the physical anomaly uh, that we cannot grow, that we're uh, 20 years old and still in a bassinet. No, because of the humility that God is working in us as we participate in these means of grace, we are being affected and our desires to want to grow up into Christ's likeness continue to increase their for the first thing that we want to do is change. Now, I'm not going to give you all of the change process in this webinar, but if you want to watch a full presentation of what repentance looks like, and by the way, it is essential because Christian maturity implies that we have to change, and so you can't mature without changing, then you need to understand the doctrine of repentance. And I have a full webinar that walks through all 13 steps of repentance. I'm only going to present a few of those here on the screen so that it will, one, whet your appetite, two, you can visually see the essentialness of it, and then three, hopefully, that uh, this is part of of what your life <clears throat> excuse me what your life looks like and so you cannot mature in Christianity unless you change. And so you could look at it kind of like um, mile markers going up the interstate. If the ultimate goal is maturity, then there are mile markers all along the way. And at each mile marker, you have to change into something else. You have to change into Christ's likeness. So it is progressive sanctification. The implication is, is that our life is going to be ongoing repentance. Luther said that the Christian life is repentance 
repentance and ongoing repenting. The repentance is when you become born again, a Christian. The ongoing repenting is progressive sanctification, and it looks like this. And so let's say that we sin after we become a Christian. We sin against a spouse, a friend, a family member. Uh, We sin against no one but God uh, is something that we do, uh, but we sin, and then we confess that, and then we seek for forgiveness from God and anyone else is within that sphere of offense. And then as we seek transactional forgiveness, we reconcile, meaning there's nothing between God and me, or God and me and anyone else that I sinned against. And then now that we're reconciled and the sin has been neutralized, by the power of the gospel, I want to start the process of putting it off so that I'm not a repeat offender. And so Paul says in Ephesians 4.22 to put off that old person and renew the spirit of your mind and then put on a new person that looks like Christ. And so these are a, a few quick steps to what change looks like. But again, if you want to see the full process of, of change, the doctrine of repentance, then please watch Watch that webinar on our website. It is free to you, and you will benefit tremendously from it. However, the change process is never, never for you just to get better. Whenever anyone would come to me in counseling and they would say, what does the change process look like? I I would say you getting better is the halfway point. That's just the halfway point. A true change happens when you get better and now you go out and start making disciples. To just get better has a self-centered implication in there. It's only about me. Our motive to get better is not primarily about us, but we want to get better so that we can go and fulfill the great commission of making disciples, which is a fuller way of glorifying God and spreading the fame of Christ around the world. And so I want to get better so I'll be better fitted in order to make disciples uh, so I can spread the fame of God. And as you are changing And as you're evolving into a more effective disciple maker, well, then you're going to start growing. Growth happens when we begin to pour ourselves into the lives of other people. And this is how we start developing our character. And I do want you to understand the point. If your whole purpose in your Christian experience is just to be the best version of yourself and you're not thinking in an other-centered fashion, well, then you are sabotaging the gospel. The heart of the gospel, which is the first point of Christian maturity, as you see on the mind map here, is Christ taking on the form of humanity so that he could save the world. There is an other-centered aspect to the gospel. Therefore, there is an other-centered aspect to Christian maturity. And if we don't have others in our sight lines, then there's something wrong with our Christian maturity, our Christian experience. And so I want to change as I access these means of grace. And part of the reason that I want to change and, and part of the methodology of how I change is by pouring myself into other people. And then I began to grow, which builds my character. And then one of the ways that you see the evidence of a bibliocentric, Christocentric character is that you see the Spirit's fruit in the individual's life. 
what our character should look like, and I have it listed out here, the fruit of the Spirit, which you can read in Galatians 5. There's love and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and and self-control and kindness and patience and joy and peace. Those are the nine elements of the fruit of the Spirit. This here also is some of the evidence that you will see the Spirit's fruit in a person's life that flows out of their character. And so one of the ways to know that an individual has a Christocentric character is by the Spirit's fruit that gives evidence that their character is right and they're growing in the proper way. And so this fruit of the Spirit, this list that you see here, the fruit that's hanging here, uh, love, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, kindness, patience, joy, and peace. Well, there's another template in Scripture that you could also use as a mirror to examine yourself, and that would be 1 Corinthians 13. Love is kind. Love is not rude. Love is patient. Uh, love never seeks its own. So you can go through 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse number 4, going into verse number 8, and you will see several elements that you can use as a mirror to see what kind of character you have to see if you're growing the right way. But if you are changing, you're actively repenting and pouring yourself into other people, you are growing and developing Christ-like character, and then what flows out of that is a desire to serve. And so these three red words that you see on the screen here, change, grow, and serve. These are the big stepping stones in Christian maturity. There's little stepping stones in between them, as as you see. But the big stepping stones are change, grow, serve, in that order. That is the linkage. That is the sequence. If I'm changing, I'm growing. If I'm growing, I'm serving. Now, if you are trying to understand if a person is a believer or if a person is mature, what you can do is work this mind map backwards to see what the problem might be. And so let's say that you have a friend who who doesn't serve, has no interest in uh, other people, doesn't have that other-centered sight lines. Well, that's the third step here, and so you want to work backwards. And what you're going to find is that they're not growing. You won't find Christocentric character, the fruit of the Spirit in an individual's life, love, gentle, faithfulness, kind, joy, peace, patience, control, goodness. You won't find that in their lives, or you will find such an embryonic formation of those things, but they're not growing because if you have these things that are are vibrant and growing in your life, the fruit of the Spirit, then you will have no other passion but to serve. And so if a person's not serving, then you're going to find a non-existent or embryonic formation of the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Now, if they're not growing, then keep going back, or they're not changing, meaning they're not repenting people. And so that's where you want to get into the dynamics of change, and maybe that would be a good time to watch the Doctrine of Repentance webinar because there's something broken down in their life that they're not active repenters, meaning they're not growing, and of course they have no desire to serve. Now, of course, you can continue to go back, and what you will probably find is that they are not actively participating in these means of grace that you see listed on the screen or any others that you have added to this list. 
list. And so you can work this mind map backwards to to find uh, the Achilles heel, to find the, the areas that you need to shore up, whether it's in your life or the person that you're trying to serve. Now, the way that you can vet or the way that you can uh, verify or validate if a person is is serving is well it's not that difficult i mean they're going to be acting like christ uh, they're going to be representing christ behaving like christ and of course there's an easy way of summing that up in matthew 22:36 through 40 the christian life as far as how we act it out as far as how we serve other people is summed up in four words love god love others. And two of those words are the, are the same. And so it's three words, love God, others. Love God, love others. That's what our serving looks like. And so again, you can work the mind map backwards. If a person doesn't love others and doesn't love God, then they don't have a servant's heart. If they don't have a servant's heart, then they are not growing. You won't see the character development, the fruit of the Spirit growing uh, out of their character. And if they're not growing, then they're not repenting. If they're not repenting, they're probably not uh, active in these means of grace that you see on the screen. But if they are moving along and you see the presence of all these things, though not the perfection of them, then they're growing up into Christ-like maturity, and it will confirm that you're doing it the right way. And that's what this mind map presents to you here. And Jesus said it quite clearly in Matthew seven sixteen: you will recognize them by their fruits. And so you're looking at a lot of fruit here on the screen. There's a lot of elements that I have presented to you in this mind map. All of them represent various kinds of Christian fruit that come to us at salvation, and we grow up into those. And as we trek through this mind map, eventually we will come out on the other end as Christ, as mature Christians. And so this is the mirror, and this is a good way for you to examine yourself. Now, I want to highlight these words here again, uh, change, grow, and serve. And so I'm going to pull those out, and you see uh, these dotted lines as I am connecting them, because I want you to make those connections as well. If I'm actively participating in the means of grace, I should be changing. If I'm changing, I'm growing. If I'm growing, well, the natural outflow is serving. It's what James says, faith without works is dead. And because my faith is right, according to this mind map, then I am serving. And if I'm serving, then I am growing up into mature Christ-likeness. And so let's look at these big elements, the the red words. Uh, I want to draw quickly on another uh, screen. And I'm calling this this slide here the cyclic effect of sanctification. And so let's say that you are participating in the means of grace. Then you are changing. And because you're changing, you're growing. You're not an infant in a basket anymore. And because you're growing, you are serving. And because you're serving, you're growing in maturity. And then that maturity is going to run you back into the means of grace again, because that's really where we are fueled. I I mean, this is the food, you could say, that helps us to continue to change, grow, serve, and mature. And so this is the cyclic effect of sanctification. And again, I ask 
does this represent you and how you live your life? Now, this next screen here, uh, what I've done is I've taken the mind map and I've added a verse or verses to uh, each one of these elements as you see on the screen. And what I would love for you to do, this would be your first homework assignment. And so if you printed off that mind map that I just went through on the other slide, you can do that. You can take a screen grab of it but, and then print it off. But if you do that and then print this one off or just pull it up on your screen either way and, and do two quick screen grabs, and then you can put them side by side. And so each one of those elements now on this slide, there is a verse. And so you can uh, search the scriptures and then start doing writing assignments outside of all of these verses here. And, and that will help you. So, For example, in the bottom right-hand corner where serve was, you remember that. Well, the blue uh, button here, it says 1 Corinthians 11.1. And on the other screen, it said Christ's likeness. So if you're serving, serving looks like Christ. And so this particular button says Christ's likeness. The verse here is 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Now that's the verse where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so that's the verse that talks about what Christ's likeness uh, is like. And so what you could do is write out that verse, and then you can start doing writing assignments. You know, how am I following Christ? Or what kind of an example as I can I go to anyone and say, follow me as I follow Christ? Is that what I want them to do, to imitate me as I imitate Christ? And so that's what I mean. You can pull up any of these uh, verses and write them out and then do a, a writing assignment and then make a personal application. So if you want to do a very deep dive into this mind map, then grab both of these screens, the actual mind map that I built for you, and then this verse map here, and then run all of these references and then make personal application. And then along with that, as I wrap up this uh, mind mapping, Christian maturity, I want to ask you a few questions, and this can be uh, your second homework assignment in addition to looking up all of those verses and making practical application. And so I have seven questions for you. The question number one is, what are some of the differences between passive and active obedience? And I would love for you to really work out this question. Maybe you can think about, uh, am, I, am I one of those ditch dwellers uh, to where I'm, I'm more beholden to passive obedience and not so much active obedience? Or the other way around, I'm all about doing the Word, but uh, I'm not understanding so much about passive obedience. And so... Maybe this would be a good time for you if you're not, one, if you're not familiar with these terms, but even if you aren't, I mean, to examine yourself and, and see if you lean into one more than the other. Uh, churches that, and individuals that believe in passive obedience will not be intentionally intrusive uh, into each other's lives. Uh, they will not be beholding to Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let's stir one another up. Now, uh, people who uh, really are lean into the passive obedience can be more sitting and soakers. They, they want to sit and soak, just sit and soak, just preach to me. I just want to sit and soak and be transformed into Christ. And I've met 
many of those people in my Christian experience, and it's hard to try to persuade them, to encourage them, motivate them that, no, you want to be active in your obedience as well. And so what are some of the differences between passive and active obedience? Where do you, where do you land, and how can you grow in both of these? We want to be sitters and soakers for sure. Uh, and maybe that's your problem. You don't sit and soak enough. Uh, in in the Word and, and processing the sermons that are, are preached to you. But then how are you in the active obedience area as well? Question number two, do you consider yourself a mature Christian? And then the follow-up is, why did you answer the way that you did? Now, it would be better for you to actually ask your spouse that question or to ask your parent. Or for a parent asked children, wouldn't that be such a fabulous uh, leadership opportunity for you uh, uh, to ask? And by the way, uh, this kind of a, a trick question, if you go back to the, the mind map, if you can't ask, if you're unwilling to engage in, in this conversation with another person, then you've already answered the question. You remember the first word that that flowed out of those means of grace on the mind map, it was humility. Because of your participation in all of those means of grace, you become that affected individual, which was the second word. But part of that being affected, the primary thing about being affected as a Christian is humility. Well, humility is a, is a huge sign of Christian maturity. And so, do you consider yourself a mature Christian, maybe if you're inhibited or afraid or unwilling or even defiant, which would be far worse, that you don't want to have this kind of conversation with someone, then perhaps the question has already been answered. But it would be a great question for you and your spouse, you and a close friend, that you pull up that mind map and walk through it and have that conversation, which leads to question number three. As you reflect upon the mind map, what are the top two areas you need to change? And so as you have this conversation with another person, what do y'all discuss? Uh, what two areas that leap off, or as you continue to talk, what two areas become apparent? Just two not three, four, or five. You can come back to those later. Uh, but just take two, and then the follow-up is, what is your specific plan to change? You, you just don't want to say, well, you know, this whole thing of repentance, uh, I saw those links there, and I don't do that well. So that would be one, and then you move on to another, but you don't make a plan to change. Well, you want to spend some time and really work out a specific plan. Number four, if a person is not growing, what two possible things that might be happening with them according to the mind map. Now, I illustrated that earlier, one way to illustrate it at least. I talked about, let's say a person is not serving. You remember the big words, the change, grow, serve. Those were the big words. And so if a person is not serving, I suggested that you work on the mind map backwards. And so you go back. Well, if you're not serving, then I want to address the character development, the character formation in the person's heart. Is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit which would speak to their character? So if they're not serving, uh, then maybe there's something going on in their character because I don't see the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. And then if they're not uh, growing, 
then maybe we need to back up one more link and look at the change process. Maybe they are not a repenting person. And so the question here, if a person is not growing, what are two possible things that might be happening with them according to uh, the mind map? Now you could back up and say, well, they're not participating in all of these or any of these means of grace. They're not participating with the church. They're not uh, celebrating the gift of hospitality and having people over in their home. They're not cooking out. They're not going to Bible studies or small group or church meetings, or they're not using their gifting in the local church by working on the, the tech team or the the singing or teaching or participating in Sunday school, just being a student in the Sunday school and passive obedience again and passively benefiting. But if they're not growing, the question is, what are two possible things that might be happening to them according to the mind map? Number five, is there someone in your life that appears not to be a Christian based on this mind map? What is your plan to speak to them? Number six, will you choose one person that you will teach this mind map to so that they can benefit? Now, this is a, a, this is a double-edged blessing as we tell our students that the teacher learns more than the student. And so if you can teach something, then you will know more and you will own it in a different way than a student who is receiving it. It it speaks also to the difference between passive and active. If you teach it to a student, they will passively receive it, but you will be actively teaching it. And so the active part of teaching is critical. And so I would encourage you, uh, perhaps sit your family down and, and just go through this you can turn the volume off on this webinar. Just turn the volume, turn me down, turn me off, and and go through the webinar and just stop it at various points and then teach it. Uh, to a spouse, a friend, a family member. And then as you do that, or you can pull it up in a Sunday school class or any other type, small group, any other type context where you can teach it. And if you teach it, you will begin to take ownership of it, and it will enhance your maturity as well as uh, they will benefit from it too. And then finally, number seven, spend some time in reflection and prayer, asking God for specific things based upon this mind map about Christian maturity. And so this is an open-ended final call to action item, number seven. Just spend some time passively just asking God, uh, sitting before the Lord and just asking, say, help me as you reflect and as you pray. And then at that point, uh, you, you will want to come out of your closet or off your knees or uh, from prayer, and then you want to act on uh, those things that uh, you spend time with the Lord uh, talking about. The big idea in this webinar is Christianity is not a spectator sport. God has called us to participate in the good things He is working into our lives, not participating in our sanctification by appropriating His grace is a sign of death, not life. And so in this webinar, I have explained through mind mapping what it means to be doers of the word, a process that leads to Christian maturity. The title of the webinar is Mind Mapping Christian Maturity. My name is Rick Thomas. Thanks so much for watching. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.